Part Two of Epistle Seven by Plato, translated by George Burgess. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Geoffrey Edwards. But in my second journey and voyage to Sicily, how reasonably and carefully they took place, he who feels any interest may hear what followed for the first period of my sojourn in sicily passed away as i have stated before i could advise the relatives and associates of dion but subsequently i persuaded dionysius as far as i was able to let me go but on peace being made for there had been then a war in sicily we both came to an agreement for dionysius said that he would send for dion and myself again after he had established for himself a state of affairs connected with his government more securely than before, and he thought it proper for Dion to understand that this was not a banishment at that time, but merely a change of residence, and on these conditions I agreed to come. On peace being made, Dionysius sent for me, but he requested Dion to stop another year, but he thought it proper for myself to come by all means. Dion then exhorted and entreated me to set sail, for a strong report had gone abroad from Sicily that Dionysius had become again wonderfully eager after philosophy at that moment, and on this account Dion earnestly begged of me not to decline the invitation. But I knew that many such things happened to young men in the case of philosophy. However, it seemed to me to be more safe at least at that time, to bid a long farewell to Dionysius and Dion, and I gave offence to both by answering that I was an old man, and that nothing of what was now being done had taken place according to the agreement. But after this it seems that Archytas had betaken himself to Dionysius. Now, before my departure, having made a hospitable and friendly acquaintance with Archytas, and certain other Tarentines, the guests and friends of Dionysius, I sailed away. There were, likewise, certain other persons at Syracuse, who had heard some of the doctrines of Dion, and among these some others filled with wrong notions about philosophy, and who seemed to me to attempt to discourse with Dionysius about things of this kind, as if Dionysius had heard all such matters as I had in my thoughts but in other respects he was not without natural talent or the power to learn, and had a love of honour in a wonderful degree. Perhaps, then, the discourse of these men was pleasing to him, and he was manifestly ashamed that he heard nothing from me when I was sojourning there. Hence he came the same time to the longing to hear me more clearly, and at the same time his love of honour urged him on. But on what account he did not hear me during my first sojourn I have detailed in the account given above. After I had returned home safe, and refused on his inviting me a second time, as I have just now mentioned, Dionysius appeared to be thoroughly on fire through his love of honour, lest I should seem to some persons to hold him in contempt, and that, as being acquainted with his nature and habits and mode of living, I was unwilling to be annoyed by going to him. But, I am justified in speaking the truth, and in enduring, if any one, on hearing what had occurred, should despise my philosophy, and think that the tyrant possessed a mind. For Dionysius sent to me the third time a trireme, for the sake of making easy the voyage. He sent also Archidemus, 
whom he thought I valued the most of all the associates of Archytas, who were then in Sicily, and others of his own acquaintances, and all these told to us the same story, that Dionysius had wonderfully increased in philosophy. He sent to a long letter, well knowing how I was affected towards Dion, and that Dion was desirous I should set sail and come to Syracuse. With a view to all these particulars, therefore, the letter was composed, and at the commencement it said somehow to this effect, Dionysius to Plato. After saying what usually follows, he said nothing previous to this except that, should you, at my persuasion, come now to Sicily, in the first place the matters relating to Dion shall be put into a train in the way you may wish yourself, for I know that you wish what is moderate, and I will accede to them. Otherwise nothing that relates to the affairs of Dion, nor upon other points, nor as regards himself, will take place. This is what he said, but the rest that was said would be here prolix and foreign to the purpose. Other letters likewise came to me from Archytas, and others at Tarentum, speaking in high terms of the love of wisdom shown by Dionysius, and that unless I came now I should bring into a state of calumny the friendship existing with Dionysius, which had been effected through me, and which was of no little moment to their political affairs. Such, then, being the state at that time of the sending for me, some of those from Sicily and Italy dragging me thither, and others at Athens pushing me away plainly by their entreaties, the same reason returned, that I ought not to betray Dion, nor my guests and friends at Tarentum, and it occurred to me that it was nothing wonderful that a young man who had heard incorrectly of things worthy of mention should come with a docile spirit to the love of the best life, and that I ought to prove clearly in what state the matter stood, and not by any means to betray it, nor to become myself the cause of a disgrace so truly great if the case was in reality such as reported. Clothing myself then in this reasoning, I departed, fearing much, and prophesying, as it seems, not altogether well. Arriving then the third time, for the Saviour this at least I did in reality. For I was again luckily saved, and for this it is meet for me to give thanks to Dionysius, after the deity, because, when many were wishing to destroy me, he prevented them, and gave up to pity some portion of my affairs. When, therefore, I arrived, I thought I ought first to obtain some proof whether Dionysius was in reality touched by philosophy, as by a fire, or whether this great report had come to Athens in vain. Now there is a certain method of making an experiment upon matters of this kind, by no means ignoble, but truly adapted to tyrants, and especially to such as are full of incorrect notions, which, as soon as I arrived, I perceived, was very much the case with Dionysius. To such it is requisite to show what philosophy is, and of what kind, and through how great deeds, how great a labor it demands. For he who hears this, if he is truly a lover of wisdom, and related to it, and worthy of it, as being a divine person, thinks he has heard of some wonderful road, and that he ought forthwith to betake himself to it, and that life is not to be endured by him who acts otherwise. After this he does not, putting both himself and his leader on the stretch, 
give up the road until he puts a finish upon all things, or obtains a power so as not to be unable to conduct himself without a person to show the road. In this way, and with these thoughts, does such a person live, acting correctly, in whatever transactions he may be engaged, but before all things perpetually keeping close to philosophy, and making use of that food for the day, which may especially render him quick to learn, and of a good memory, and able to reason in himself by abstaining from wine, and by which he becomes the hater of a practice contrary to this. But they, who are not lovers of wisdom in reality, but have a coating of color in their opinions, like those whose bodies are sunburnt, when they perceive how many things are to be learnt, and how great is the labor, and what temperance in daily food is requisite for that thing, they deem it too difficult and beyond their powers, and become unable to attend to it at all. But some of them persuade themselves that they have sufficiently heard the whole, and want no further exertions. This kind of experiment is clear, and the most safe, when employed in the case of those living luxuriously, and unable to endure labor, through the person throwing the blame not upon the guide, but on himself, as being unable to attend to all that is requisite for the matter in hand. In this way was what has been now stated mentioned to Dionysius, but neither did I detail them all, nor did Dionysius require it. For many things, and of the greatest moment, he pretended to possess sufficiently himself through the incorrect notions he had heard from others. And I hear that he afterwards wrote about what he had then heard, as if he were composing what was his own art, when there was nothing of his own, as I hear. However, of this I know nothing. But I know that certain others have written about the same things, but who they are, not they themselves. Thus much, however, I can say about all, who either have written, or shall write, and state that they know about what things I am occupied, whether they have heard from myself or others, or have discovered themselves, that it is not possible for them to know anything according to my opinions upon the matter. For there is not, and never will be, any composition of mine about them. For a matter of that kind cannot be expressed by words, like other things to be learnt, but by a long intercourse with the subject, and living with it a light is kindled on a sudden, as if from a leaping fire, and, being engendered in the soul, feeds itself upon itself. Thus much I know, however, that what has been written or said by me has been said in the best manner, and moreover that what has been written badly does not pain me in the least. But if it had appeared to me that such matters could be written or spoken of sufficiently before the masses, what could have been done by us more beautiful in life than to impart a great benefit to mankind, and to bring nature to light before all? I think, however, that the attempt in favor of such being promulgated would not be beneficial except to a few who are able with a little showing to make discoveries for themselves. But of the rest, some it will fill not correctly with a contempt by no means in reason, and others with a lofty and vain hope, as if they had learnt something solemn. And it has now come into my mind to say something further still. For perhaps, by what I am about to say, a portion of what has been said will become more clear. For a certain true account is the antagonist of him who dares to write anything whatever about matters of this kind, 
and which, although it has been stated by me frequently before, seems it must be stated at present likewise. There are three things belonging to each of those through which it is necessary for science to be produced, but the fourth is science itself, and, as to the fifth, it is requisite to establish that which is known and true. Of these, one is its name, the second its definition, the third its resemblance, the fourth its science. Now, if you are desirous of understanding what has been just now asserted respecting one example, take it and imagine thus respecting all. A circle is called something to which there is the name we have just mentioned. Its definition is the second thing, composed of nouns and verbs. For that, which is everywhere equally distant from the extremes to the middle, would be the definition of that to which the name is of a round, and a circumference, and a circle. But the third is the circle, painted or blotted out, and made by a turner's wheel, or destroyed. By none of which accidents is the circle itself, of which all these properties are predicated, affected as being of a different nature. But the fourth is science and intellect, and a correct opinion about them. And the whole of this again must be laid down as one thing, which exists neither in voice, nor in a corporeal figure, but is in the soul, by which circumstance it is manifest that there is something different from the nature itself of the circle and the three previously mentioned. But among the number of these, intellect, by its relation and similitude, approaches the nearest to the fifth, while the rest are more remote. The same is the case with respect to a thing straight and circular, and with figure, and with color, and of a thing good, and beautiful, and just, and of every body, both fashioned by the hand, and produced according to nature, and of fire, and water, and all things of that kind, and of every animal, and of the habit in souls, and of all actions and passions. For unless a person does, after a certain manner, understand of these things all the four, he will never perfectly participate in the science relating to the fifth. Moreover, these four no less endeavor to show forth the quality as respects each thing than the being of each through the want of power in words. On this account, no one possessing a mind will ever dare to place under the same view, and this too, never to be changed, the objects which are perceived by the mind, and those that are represented by figures, which is the case with those four. And this again, what has just now been said, it is requisite to learn. Every circle described by its doings, or fashioned by a turner's wheel, is full of that which is contrary to the fifth, for it everywhere touches upon the straight line. But we assert that the circle in the abstract has neither more nor less in itself of a contrary nature. And we assert, too, that there is no fixed name for anything, for there is nothing to prevent things that are now called round from being called straight, and those straight, round, nor will there be any less stability in them when they are changed and called by a contrary name. The same assertion is likewise true of a definition, that since it is composed of nouns and verbs, there is nothing stable in a sufficiently stable manner, and there is an infinity of reasons respecting each of the four, that it is uncertain. But what is of the greatest moment is, that since there are, as I have stated a little before, two things, being and quality, when the soul seeks to know, not the quality of a thing, but what it is, 
unless each of these four previously sought for by the soul through reason and effect and at last turns out correctly discussed by the senses through all things that are said and shown it fills every man so to say with all doubt and uncertainty in such cases then as through a depraved education we are not accustomed to seek the truth but the image of it which is placed before us is sufficient for us to touch upon we do not become ridiculous to each other the interrogated to the interrogating but we are able to bandy about those four and to examine them but in such cases as we compel a person to exhibit that fifth any one of those who are able to reply and to overthrow is the superior and causes him who is explaining this fifth either by speech or writing or answers to appear to the multitude of his hearers entirely ignorant of the things about which he attempts either to write or speak persons being sometimes ignorant that it is not the soul of the writer or speaker that is confuted but the nature of each of the four spoken of when it is existing improperly but the procession through all these while changing its place towards each upwards and downwards scarcely at length generates the knowledge of a thing existing naturally well in a person existing naturally well but when it exists naturally ill as exists naturally the habit of the soul of the multitude with respect to learning and to what are called morals and these are depraved not even lincius himself can cause such as these to see and in one word neither docility in learning nor memory will cause a person to do so who is not germane to the matter for they are not originally inherent in foreign habits so that neither they who are not naturally close to and allied with what is just and the other things that are beautiful but are docile and of a good memory some with respect to some things and others to others nor they who are allied but are indocile and of a bad memory will ever learn as far as is possible the truth relating to virtue and vice for it is necessary to learn these and at the same time the falsehood and truth of the whole of being with all exertion and much time as i stated at the commencement but after each of these have been rubbed together names and definitions and the sense of seeing and the other senses and have been tried by tests in a kindly spirit and by questions and answers without a feeling of envy there has with difficulty shone forth an intellectual perception respecting each and a mind putting itself on the stretch as far as it is possible for human power to do so on this account let every careful man be very far from writing about things truly worthy of care lest at some time by writing amongst men he throw himself into envy and difficulties but in one word it is requisite to know from hence when any one sees the writings of another either of a legislator upon laws or of any person whatever upon other subjects that these are not those on which he has been the most careful if he is himself a careful person but that the objects of his pursuit are situated somewhere in a country the most beautiful but if the subjects on which he has been the most careful are committed to writing then not the gods but men themselves have their own intellect destroyed now he who follows this story and digression will understand correctly whether dionysius has written anything of the highest and first kind respecting nature 
or any other person inferior or superior to him, since, according to my reasoning, he has neither heard or learnt anything sound about what he has written, for he would have venerated them equally with myself, nor have dared to cast them forth into a state unfitting and unbecoming, nor has he written about them for the sake of remembering them, since there is no fear that any one will ever forget them if he has once comprehended them by the soul, for of all things they lie in the smallest compass, but perhaps he did so for the sake of base ambition, considering them as his own, or as sharing in a kind of instruction of which he was unworthy, and loving the renown arising from such a participation. If, however, this occurred to Dionysius after one meeting, the fact may be so. But let Zeus, says the Theban, know how it occurred. For I went through these matters, as I have said, only once, and never afterwards at all. In the next place, he, who is interested in discovering what occurred relating to those matters, and how it occurred, ought to consider through what reason it was we did not go through them a second and a third time and oftener, whether it was that Dionysius, having heard them only once, thought he knew them and did know them sufficiently, or that he discovered them himself, or had learnt them previously from others, or that what had been said was trifling, or, thirdly, that they were not according to his standard, but greater, and that thus he would not be able to live if he paid any regard to prudence and virtue. For if it be said that he considered the matters frivolous, he will oppose many witnesses who assert the contrary, and who are much more competent to judge about things of this kind than Dionysius. But if that he discovered or learnt them, and that they are worthily suited for the instruction of a liberal soul, how should he, not being a wondrous man himself, have so readily dishonoured the leader and the lord in these matters? And how he did dishonour them I will relate. After an interval of no long time, although he had previously permitted Dion to possess and enjoy his property, he did not permit his guardians to send it to Peloponnesus, as if he had entirely forgotten his letter for he said it was not Dion, but Dion's son, of whom, as being his own nephew, he was, according to law, the guardian. Such were the transactions of that time that took place up to this period. And from these occurrences I clearly saw the desire Dionysius had for philosophy, and it was lawful for me to be indignant whether I wished it or not, for it was already summer at that time, and ships were sailing out but it seemed I ought not to be more offended with Dionysius than with myself, and with those who compelled me to come the third time to the strait about Scylla, and dread Charybdis measure still again, and to tell Dionysius that it was impossible for me to stay with him while Dion was treated so dirtily. But he soothed me and begged me to stay, thinking it would not be well for him should I be so swift a messenger of such doings, but unable to persuade me, he said he would prepare the means of sending me away. However, I determined to go on board and sail amongst the vessels outward bound, being enraged, and thinking I ought to suffer everything if he should attempt to stop me, as I had been injured, although I had plainly done no injury. But on seeing that I had no desire at all to stay, he devised a plan of this kind for delaying my sailing away. On the day after this had taken place, he plausibly addresses me, From myself and you, said he, let Dion, 
and the affairs of Dion be removed out of the way for the sake of our not being frequently at variance about them. For I will, said he, thus act on your account to Dion. I think it right for him to take away his property and to reside in Peloponnesus, not as an exile, but as one who may come hither when it shall seem good to him, to me, and to you who are his friends. And this shall be if he forms no plot against myself, and you and your relations and his here shall be his sureties. And let him give you a guarantee, and let the property which he takes away be deposited in Peloponnesus and at Athens with those you shall think fit, and let Dion enjoy the use of it, but not the power to take it away without your consent, for I have not any very great trust in him that if he can use the property he will be just towards myself, for it will not be trifling, but I have greater confidence in you and yours. See, therefore, if this is agreeable to you, and remain on these terms for this year, and then depart to your well-doing, taking with you the property, and well I know that Dion will be greatly indebted to you for having managed matters in this way on his behalf. On hearing this speech I felt indignant, but still I said I would take counsel of myself until the following day on these points, and communicate my resolves. This was our compact at that time. I, hereupon, being all alone and very confused, took counsel of myself, and this consideration first presented itself as taking the lead in my designs. What, if Dionysius intends to do nothing that he says, but on my departure both he and many others of his friends should write in a plausible manner to Dion what he has now said to me, that Dionysius indeed was willing, but I unwilling for him to do what he urged me, and that I entirely neglected his, Dion's, concerns. And, moreover, should Dionysius be unwilling to send me away, and himself give no orders to any master of a vessel to take me, and easily signify to all men that I was sailing away without his consent. What sailor would be willing to take me on board while I was hastening from the dwelling of Dionysius? For in addition to other evils I dwelt in the garden which surrounds the dwelling, from whence the porter would not be willing to let me out unless an order were sent from Dionysius, and, should I remain a year, I could indeed send an account of these doings to Dion, and in what state I was, and what I was doing. But should Dionysius do aught of what he says, my conduct would be not entirely ridiculous. For perhaps the property of Dion, if one rightly values it, is not less than a hundred talents. But if what is now looming should, as is likely, take place, I shall be at a loss how to conduct myself." At the same time, it is perhaps necessary for me to labor for a year longer, and to endeavor to prove the designs of Dionysius by his deeds. Having thus determined with myself, I told Dionysius on the following day that I had made up my mind to stay. I hold it right, however, said I, for you not to consider me as the master of Dion, and that you should, together with myself, send letters to inform him of the determination, and to ask him whether he was satisfied, and if not, whether he wished for and demanded anything else, and to send word as soon as possible, but that you should do nothing new in his affairs. This was said by me, and this agreement did we make 
nearly in the manner just now detailed. After this the vessel sailed, and it was no longer possible for me to depart, when Dionysius, while speaking, remembered that the half of Dion's property ought to remain with his son, and that the other half should be sent to Dion, and he said he would sell it, and, after it had been sold, deliver one half to myself to send to Dion, and leave the other half for his son, for that this would be the most equitable arrangement. Astonished at the statement, I thought it would be very ridiculous to say anything further. I told him, however, that we ought to wait for the letter from Dion, and again send him an account of these matters. But Dionysius immediately after this did, in a very bold manner, sell the whole of Dion's property, at what time, and in what manner, and to whomsoever he pleased. Nor did he say anything whatever about it to myself, and in like manner I said nothing to him about the affairs of Dion, for I thought I should be able to do nothing more in the matter. Thus far was assistance given by myself to philosophy and my friends. But after this I and Dionysius were so living that I, like a bird, was always looking out and longing to fly away, while he was devising in what manner he might frighten me off, and give up none of the property of Dion. We gave out, however, through the whole of Sicily that we were friends forsooth. Dionysius had attempted to reduce the pay of the veteran mercenaries now to a lower rate than according to the custom of his father, and the soldiers, being enraged, collected together in a body, and declared they would not permit it. Dionysius therefore endeavoured to force them by closing the gates of the Acropolis, but the soldiers immediately rushed to the walls, raising a kind of barbarous cry and warlike paean, at which Dionysius, being terrified, conceded all demands, and even more to those of the light-shield-bearers who had been collected together. But a report was quickly spread that Heraclides was the cause of this disturbance, on hearing which Heraclides took himself out of the way and disappeared, while Dionysius endeavoured to lay hold of him. But, being in a difficulty, he sent for Theodotus to come to the garden in which I happened to be then walking. Now, of the rest of their discourse, I neither knew nor heard, but what Theodotus said in my presence to Dionysius I both know and remember. For, said he, Plato, I am persuading Dionysius here, that if I am able to bring Heraclides hither to a conference respecting the charges now laid against him, and if it does not seem good to Dionysius for him to dwell in Sicily, I think it is proper for him to take his wife and son, and sail to Peloponnesus, and reside there, doing no injury at all to Dionysius, and enjoying his own property. I have, therefore, sent to him already, and I will now send to him again. But whether he hearkens to my first or second application, I deem it right to request of Dionysius that if any one falls in with Heraclides, either in the country or here, no ill shall happen to him, but that he shall be removed from the country until Dionysius shall decide upon something else. To this, said he, do you accede? Addressing Dionysius, he answered, I do accede, nor shall he suffer any ill contrary to what has now been stated, should he make his appearance at your house. However, on the evening of the following day, Eurybius and Theodotus came to me in great haste, and wonderfully alarmed, 
and Theodotus said to me, Plato, you were present yesterday at the compact which Dionysius made with me, and you respecting Heraclides? To which I replied, How not? But now, says he, the soldiers with light shields are running all round, seeking to lay hold of Heraclides, and it appears almost that he is somewhere here. Follow us, then, by all means to Dionysius. We went, therefore, and came to him, and they indeed stood silent and in tears. But I said, These persons, Dionysius, are afraid, lest you should do something of a novel kind to Heraclides, contrary to the compact made yesterday. For it seems to me that he has returned, and is clearly somewhere here. And he, on hearing this, burnt with rage, and assumed all kinds of colors, such as a person in anger does. But Theodotus, falling at his feet, and laying hold of his hand, burst into tears, and implored him not to do any such thing. Then I, taking up the discourse, consoled him and said, Cheer up, Theodotus, for Dionysius will not dare to act contrary to the compact made yesterday. But he, looking at me, and in a very tyrannic manner, With you, says he, I made no compact, either great or small. By the God, said I, you did agree not to do what this man now requests you not to do. After saying this, I turned from him and went out. After this, Dionysius endeavored to hunt down Heraclides. Theodotus, however, sent messengers to him and exhorted him to fly. But Dionysius sent Tisius and the soldiers with light shields and ordered them to pursue him. Heraclides, however, as it is said, anticipated them, and escaped in the small part of a day into the dominions of the Carthaginians. Hereupon the old plot for his not giving up the property of Dion seemed to Dionysius to offer a plausible pretext of enmity against myself, and in the first place he sent me from the Acropolis, framing an excuse that it was requisite for the women to perform some ten-day sacrifice in the gardens where I resided. He therefore ordered me to remain out during that period with Archidemus. While I was there, Theodotus sent for me, and felt very indignant respecting the transactions of that time, and found fault with Dionysius, who, hearing that I had been with Theodotus, made this another pretext, and the sister to the former, for enmity against me, and sent a person to ask me whether I had really been with Theodotus on his sending for me, and I readily replied I had. The party therefore said, Dionysius has ordered me to tell you that you are acting by no means correctly in always making much of Dion and the friends of Dion. This is what was said, and after this Dionysius never again sent for me to his residence, as it was now clear that I was the friend of Theodotus and Heraclides and his enemy, and he no longer considered me well affected towards him, because the property of Dion had been consumed entirely. After this I dwelt out of the Acropolis among the mercenary soldiers, but others, Athenians, and some likewise my fellow-citizens, who were in the service of Dionysius, came and told me that I had been calumniated by the light-shield soldiers, and that certain persons had threatened to kill me if they could lay hold of me. I devised, therefore, the following plan for my preservation. I sent to Archytas and other friends at Tarentum, telling them in what state I happened to be, and they, 
making some pretext of an embassy to the city, sent a ship of thirty oars, and Lamiscus, one of my friends, who, on his arrival, made a request to Dionysius on my behalf, saying that I wished to depart, and begged of him not to act otherwise. And he consented, and sent me away, after providing me with means for the voyage. However, I neither asked for the property of Dion, nor did any one give it me. On reaching Peloponnesus at the Olympic Games, I met with Dion, who was a spectator there, and I told him what had happened, and he, calling Jupiter to witness, immediately declared to me, and my relations and friends, that he would prepare to revenge himself upon Dionysius, both for his having deceived me his guest, for thus he spoke and thought, and for his own unjust expulsion and banishment. On hearing this I advised him to call upon his friends, if they were willing, but as for myself, I said, you, together with others, had by force caused me in some manner to share in the food, and the hearth, and the sacred rites of Dionysius, who perhaps has thought, in consequence of many calumniating me, that I was plotting in conjunction with you against him and his tyranny, and yet he did not put me to death, but treated me with respect. Besides, I am of an age to take a part with scarcely any one in war, but I would be a common friend to you all, if at any time, in want of a friendly feeling towards each other, you should wish to do any good. But if you are desirous of doing evil, call upon others. This did I say through a feeling of disgust to my wandering about Sicily, and adverse fortune in it. By not obeying, and being not persuaded by the reasonings urged by myself, they have been themselves the cause of all the evils that have at present happened to them, of which nothing, humanly speaking, would have occurred had Dionysius given Dion his own property, or had been perfectly reconciled to him. For I could easily have restrained Dion from both by my will and power. But now they have rushed against each other, and filled all things with evils. And yet Dion had the same wish, which I would say both myself and any other moderate person ought to have, who should consider touching his own power, and that of his friends, and of his own city, how, by doing a benefit when in power, things of the greatest moment would be in the greatest honour. But this will be, not if a person enrich himself and his friends and city by laying plots and bringing together conspirators, when he is poor and has no command over himself, through his yielding to cowardice, as regards pleasures, and subsequently by destroying those who possess property, and calling them enemies, scatters the wealth of such persons, and exhorts his fellow-doers and friends so to act, that no one shall, by saying that he is poor, bring a charge against him. After the same manner, he who benefits his city will be honoured by it in consequence of distributing by voting the property of a few among the many, or when any one being the president of a great city, and one ruling over many lesser cities, unjustly distributes to his own city the property of the lesser. For in this way neither Dion nor any other person will ever voluntarily proceed to power, pernicious to himself and family for all time, but to a form of government and the establishment of laws, the most just and best, and effected through the fewest deaths and banishments. This conduct did Dion lately adopt by choosing to suffer rather than to do unholy deeds, 
yet taking care lest he should suffer, still, however, did he stumble after he had arrived at the very point of being superior to his foes, nor did he suffer anything to be wondered at, for a man holy, temperate, and prudent will never be deceived entirely respecting unholy things, respecting the soul of such, but it would perhaps be not wonderful should he suffer the suffering of a good pilot from whom a storm about to be has not entirely lain hid, but from whom the violence unusually great and unexpected of tempests may have lain hid, and, having lain hid, have by their force overwhelmed him. The same thing upon a small scale caused Dion to stumble, for they who tripped him up did not lie hid from him as being wicked men, but what a depth of ignorance and of the rest of depravity and of greediness insatiable they possessed, this did lie hid, and stumbling on this point he lies dead, and Sicily wraps in sorrow infinite. What, therefore, I advise you to do after the facts just now detailed has been nearly told, and let them be told. But it appeared to me necessary to show why I undertook the second journey to Sicily, and, as it were, of somewhat a compulsory kind, on account of the absurdity and irrationality attached to the transactions. If, then, what has been now said has appeared to any one to be more reasonable, and it seems to any one that the excuses for what have occurred are sufficient, what has been now said will have been said moderately and sufficiently well. End of Epistle 7